Do you ever get tired of the gospel? I hope not. You know, um, as a pastor and a, uh, thereby also a preacher, um, you know, I feel, I take seriously the reality that, uh, that as Derek prayed, that, um, that yes, I'm up here, I'm a vessel, but uh, my prayer is always, Lord, may it be your words um, and may you just get me out of the way, right? Uh, I must decrease, you must increase. And, and so each week as I seek the Lord, uh, you know, I, on what to share, you know, I, I really want to, you know, hear like what is his message this week? And, and going through the book of Genesis each week, it's, it's sitting in his presence and saying, okay, yeah, I've got this chapter. And, and, you know, shoot, I could go online and find, you know, thousands of sermons that have been done on this particular chapter, any chapter, really, in the Bible, just about, it seems like, right? And, and there's so many different directions you could potentially go. And so how do you decide? Like, what do you do, right? How do you figure out, okay, well, God, what do you want me to do, right? And that's the question. Is God, yeah, yeah, everyone else has done this, or maybe even I've preached this message be, or this chapter before, but what do you want me to say today? And... He keeps, recently in, in the last few years, I just feel like he keeps bringing me back to the gospel. And so I, you know, I question him all the time. Like, dude, like, come on, God. They know, they know the gospel, right? I mean, this is, this is a church that, you know, is, they, they know you. They know what the truth, they know what this, this, this good news is. But at the end, I just like, okay. Let's do it again. So I hope you don't get bored with the gospel because we're going there again today. And, I, and I'm, my prayer is the Holy Spirit would just re, renew, give you a fresh new look at the gospel again. And, and, and it is a different kind of mode because we're in Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24 is the, the great love story of Genesis in some sense. You know, Abraham, he's got to get a, a wife for Isaac. Genesis 24, interestingly, is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. Some 66 verses long. And it's this narrative, this one long story of the process of finding the bride for Isaac. Yeah, in the Old Testament, you know, it's been said, and I've even said before, right? The Old Testament is a great book, but sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to really connect with because the, some of the images are so far, you know, back there. And, and there's, there's some, you know, I mean, hard to say it, but there's kind of some boring books, like some repetition that's happening in some of the books and some of the chapters, right? And so it can be hard. But when we know the New Testament... And then are able to take that knowledge back with us into the Old Testament. It brings so much more out. It, it makes it more rich. It helps us to understand what's going on there. And, and so we do that all the time. I, I, I think we should always, when reading the Old Testament, try to see it and understand it through the lens of the New Testament. That we would see that so much, all of, in essence, the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And so we've, we've, uh, we've even seen a couple of weeks ago in this story about Isaac and Abraham going up the hill. 
Abraham going to worship, and he, he, he's called by God to sacrifice his son, to like take your son up to the mountain, and you're going to like sacrifice him on an altar. And, and we see that story. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't mention this, but I hope that you caught it, the imagery of Jesus in Isaac, knowing what's coming, knowing that he is the sacrifice, yet willingly walking with his father up the, up the hill. Right? I, I didn't even expose that. I didn't talk about that at all in chapter 22. But there's this imagery that there, and, and especially it seems in the life of Isaac, an imagery of Jesus that we find in Isaac, the promised son. And so we see that as well in chapter 24. Another image of Jesus. In, in Genesis, we've seen God reveal to, to us the, these realities of who he is, that, that he is a powerful God, that he is the creator God. We've also seen that he is a God who provides. He's there for us. We see that he's a God who protects. He's a God who blesses. He's a God who saves. But in chapter 24 of Genesis, maybe for the first time in the Bible, we see God as a God who intimately loves us. It's through this image of a marriage, <laughs> through this image of, you know, this wedding that happens in, Gen in Genesis 24. And thank God it's not just a wedding, but we get the whole story. We get the buildup and then we get the end. It starts with just Abraham saying, wait, I, I got a son who, who's not married and we need to get him married off so that he can fulfill all these promises and we can have this great nation that God has promised. And then it ends with Rebecca in the tent of Isaac. And he loved her. So this morning, I want to look at Genesis 24 as a love story. But I want to look at it kind of loosely allegorically. <laughs> because I see in this chapter 24 not just a story about Rebecca and Isaac. Not just a story that happened 4,000 years ago but a story that actually has great imagery for the great love story of God's pursuit of us to save us, to have dropped, adopt us into his family, be a part of his kingdom. So I'm going to go through this story as an allegory, and uh, I see five main characters in this story, and then we're going to kind of look at the character in the story, and then we're going to talk allegorically of what they represent. And it's simple. It's easy. I think any of you probably could see these images already on your own, just reading through it, if you have an understanding of the New Testament. But I think it's, an, it's again, what the Lord has led me to dive into this morning. However, I do also feel led to give a bit of a caution to start with. 
Because anytime we begin to do this, and, and we see this actually throughout the New Testament as well. Uh, even uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I referred to Galatians chapter 4 and, and how Paul uses uh, the, the son of the slave woman and the son of the uh, promise, right, as this allegory in Genesis 4, right? And so we see this happen. And so, so it happens quite a bit. We do that, and it's okay to do that. But we have to recognize there's a danger in that. We need to understand that the events of this chapter are real life events. That they actually happened. And because they're real events with real people, they are real examples of salvation and oneness that God offers to all his children. The great love story of scripture is not a mythical tale <laughs> filled with mythical characters and a mythical hope. No, the powerful truth of the Old and New Testament is that the true God is pursuing real intimacy with his real creation through the Son's real death, resurrection, and his eventual real return. So while we look at Genesis 24 a bit allegorically, let's not lose sight that these are real life events. The first character in this allegory is the father. Let's read Genesis chapter 24 verses 1 through 4. Now Abraham was old. <laughs> let's just sit on that one for a little bit. <laughs> It's just funny sometimes, right? He's like, he's just right, yeah, he's old, man. He's just old. Uh, now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But will you will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife from my son, Isaac. We see here Abraham's love for his son. Now, it's typical in this culture, in this time, for the father to seek out a bride for his son. It's not unusual. But we see that there's uh, some extra intensity maybe with Abraham's desire to bless his son with a bride. You know, certainly there's a sense of wanting to have a companion for his son. But again, after what had just happened on Mount Moriah, that had gone up and I saw how Isaac responded when God had called him to sacrifice him. And he realizes, Abraham realizes that his son indeed is the promised child. And as the promised child, God was going to continue to fulfill his promise to Abraham through Isaac and through his offspring. And so there was a need for that promise to be further fulfilled for, a, for Isaac to have a wife, to have a bride, to have someone who they could have children with and could see God build a great nation through. But we also to see this amazing desire as well in Abraham 
that whoever is his, his son's wife is, is not just some, any, any lady. It's not just any woman. No, it can't be from a woman who is, who is torn away or drawn away by the things of the world or by other gods, little g, but that is willing to connect and worship God and God alone. Hmm. He calls his servant to find this woman. Find this woman who doesn't worship other gods, but more than that, is willing to come. Willing to come and be Isaac's wife without ever meeting Isaac. Kind of interesting. Abraham goes on instructing, I'll read in a moment, the servant like, hey, you know, no, you, you need to understand that no, Isaac is not going to go to her. She has to be willing to come to him. Sight unseen. Hmm. So good. So beautiful. And so obvious that Abraham in this great love story represents our heavenly father who also loves his son deeply. And after witnessing his son's willingness to be actually a sacrifice, he knows that his son is indeed the promised one. Yet, he also knows that his son desires oneness and that his son is destined to be a great nation. And so the only way he can be a great nation is for the bride to come, for a wife to be secured for him. And so God the Father seeks a wife for his son, a bride to come and to be wed to his son and to build a great nation, an eternal nation together. Hmm. Yeah. And he sends his servant. That's his motivation. To send his servants out to find, to seek for, and to find a bride for his son. That leads us to the second character, the servant. Let's read on. Verses 5 to 11. The servant said to him, to Abraham, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which we, you came? Abraham had said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well at the time of evening, the time when women 
go out to draw water. So here we have the servant who shows up, favored servant of Abraham. And he's there and here's the call to come and he shows up and then he receives this instruction to go and find a wife for, his son, for Abraham's son, Isaac. Now, the, the, the servant seeks clarity when he asks questions. He's not doubting Abraham. He's not like hesitating, like, oh, I don't know if this is the right thing. He just is seeking clarity to the instructions, but also clarity to, the, to his responsibility. To what extent am I responsible for this? And so he asks him, you know, so what if this woman says, hey, I, you know, I want to see Isaac. So do I go and get your son and bring him? And Abraham's, no, 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 you don't do that. But, but wait a second, but what if she doesn't want to come? Uh, come? Come with me. What do I do? Well, then you are released from your responsibility. Your job is to go find the woman and invite the woman to come marry my son, and then you're done. Also notice that he brings gifts with him. Gifts that his father has given, Abraham has given him. Abraham gave him all these things like, I want you to have this treasure to take with you so that when you get to find this woman, you have something to offer her, you know, a dowry of sorts, if you will. She would, she would be able to have some kind of sign of wealth that, uh, that, that you are offering and that she would be able to be blessed in that way and that it also help him along the way. This long journey that he had to take probably took about a month, maybe six weeks to get to where he was going. And then we see the servant also gives testimony. Testimony to the goodness of his master and his son. The servant, again, I think quite obviously represents the evangelist. Now, we have, a, I think, a skewed perspective of evangelists, so lest anyone in the room think, oh, yeah, that's those missionary types. All of God's children are called to evangelism. Each of us, the moment we are adopted into God's family, are bestowed with the mantle of evangelism. God calls us into his presence, shares his heart's desire for the lost, and then sends us out to draw them into his family. But when he sends us out, he does not send us out with nothing. He sends us with his gifts. He sends us out with all that we need to accomplish the task. For those in the room that maybe didn't think that they're evangelists, and you're just discovering this, hey, that's great. Now you know you're an evangelist as well. But for those of you that think that you're an evangelist, but think that it's dependent on you, you need to step back as well and recognize, no, 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 God has given you all that you need. You are giving testimony to Jesus. You are giving testimony to God, not to yourself. You're not the good one. Jesus is the good one. He's the promised son. He's the one we seek to draw people to wed. And so, as servants of God, as the evangelist, we go where the Lord tells us to go. And we take with us the gifts that he's given us. And we proclaim the truth of what we personally have experienced. 
This is one of Abraham's best and longest and best known servants. This servant knows Abraham. This servant knows Isaac. He's not just some you know, new guy that just showed up. He's been there. He understands. He's been around. And so he knows what the master has to offer. And that is us as evangelists. We know who God is. Matter of fact, the moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, we have all that we need to share the gospel with the next person down the road. We've experienced the amazing grace of the master. We've experienced the amazing goodness and provision of the son. We can share what we've experienced with others. And that's the job of an evangelist. But we also recognize, like this servant, that it is not that we, that we can't do it on our own. We recognize that we need to continue to be dependent on God. Even in the moment, we must pray and seek the Lord. We must seek to understand and to know what the words to say are, what the actions to do are. We can't know without God. We need him. But we also recognize our limits. Too many of us beat ourselves up over the people that said no. Too many of us feel guilt and shame over the loss that we've sought to bring to Christ who have rejected the message and turned from us. Too often we go into ourselves and think, oh my gosh, it's my fault. I did something wrong. I said it wrong. I didn't say it right. I didn't have the right answer. I, I don't know. Maybe my, my attitude was whatever. And we, we, we beat ourselves up, but understand, just like Abraham's servant, our job is not to bring the bride home. Our job is to, give, to seek the bride, to tell the bride the good news, and then let her choose. The response is up to the sovereignty of God and this tension, the free will of every individual. The next character we see in this love story is an unnamed character, actually. Perhaps you already like, wait a second, Sean, you said there's five characters. I only see four in this. Ah, there's a fifth one, an unnamed hidden character, if you will, who is in this story as well. And that is, of course, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved and active in this story. Genesis 24, verses 12 to 21. Let's read those. And he said, the servant, O Lord... God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman, to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Mm. Oh, we're going to continue to 21, sorry. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. 
She said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. We see here that the Spirit is the one who prompts the servant to pray. He, he, he gets to the well, and what is the first thing the servant do? Do, do? Oh, man, I can do this. Whoo. What is the first thing that the servant does? He gets on his knees and he prays. He says, I've come to the land that I've been told to go. Now it's time to find this bride, to find this woman. Who is she? Lord, help me. I can't do it on my own. The Spirit is the one who prompts, indeed, all of our prayers. Amen? See, we don't, we don't, we don't instigate prayer with God. You know, God's not sitting around waiting for us to someday say, hey, Jesus, what's up? You know, he's not. Like, he is always active. He is always speaking. When we go to prayer, we say, Lord, I'm here. I have heard you, and I've come to hear from you again and to speak to you this morning. We're not the ones who instigate it. It's the Spirit who starts that. He starts every prayer. Note here that the Spirit's role is to, first of all, prompt the prayers of the evangelist. Also note, left on our own and our human tendency to self-absorption, we would likely never pray for those who are lost and don't know Jesus. Do you pray for those who don't know you, don't, don't know Jesus? Do you pray? Prayer is essential to evangelism. It, it not only is the catalyst to get out of our comfort zones, Prayer is how the Spirit reveals His plan, gives us words to say, and sparks interest in the person who's yet to meet Jesus. It starts with prayer. And this is the Spirit's job, is to spark that prayer in us. To begin to pray for the lost. It's amazing what happens when we begin to pray, not just like generically, Lord, save the people that don't know you. No, no, by name. To be thinking about the exact person that doesn't know Jesus and to be praying for them. This is prompted by the Spirit and it's, the, it's where all evangelism starts. As evangelists, we must know this and we must expect that the Lord will first of all stir our hearts to evangelism before it ever happens. But the, Lord, but the Spirit also directs our steps Especially in regards to evangelism, he is always revealing to us the direction that God has for us to go. He tells us where to go, but he also tells us who to talk to, if we're looking, if we're listening. This is the amazing power of the Spirit. 
And the, uh, the, the things, you know, we, I was praying about this before the services, it kind of came to me, this reality that, you know, we have our plans. Our plans were to be outside on Sunday morning, this Sunday morning, in the beautiful outdoors, worshiping God and let it with the birds and, you know, the deers and, you know, the raccoons and I don't know, whatever else, maybe, you know, I don't know, cockroaches out there, maybe. Anyway, but we were supposed to be doing that. That was our plan. We had that figured out, right? This was the way it was going to go. And then all of a sudden, like, no. God knew, like this isn't a surprise, but this is God. Like he, man makes his plans, right? But God directs his steps because the reality is we don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. And so we recognize that we have a spirit who is speaking to us and directing us and leading us to the people who need to know Jesus. Now, I, I've spoken out against this before, and I, and I want to do again, but I, I want to you know, maybe, I think before maybe I was a little bit harsher than I should have been, but maybe you don't even remember it, but the fleece. You know, here we have the servant do a fleece thing. Remember Gideon and his fleece, right? You know, he, like, God, you, are you really, is that you really God? I, I don't know. I don't think it's you. So he, like, gives God these impossible things. Like, I put this, you know, like, you know, carpet out, and if there's dew on the carpet, then, oh, and nowhere else, that means, it, you know, this kind of that's the fleece, right? Well, so the servant has the same kind of thing. He says, okay, all right, God, you know, I, 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 all right, I got to figure out who this woman is. So let me, let me say, uh, okay, the woman who comes and when I ask her for water, she gives me water. But more than that, she also gives my camels water. That's the one. That's the woman, right? This fleece kind of moment. Like, God, this is how you can communicate this. And I, I just want to say something about fleeces. I, I've heard taught before that we should always put out fleeces to determine God's, God's will. And, and I just disagree with that. And I, and I just don't think that is, I mean, fleeces, and I'll, I'll bring this back, fleeces aren't like sin, but I think we need to understand that the, God is personal. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. I see a fleece as a lack of trust, a lack of really knowing God. I think that if we really are spending our time with Jesus every day, if we really are in touch with him and coming to know him and have this intimate relationship with him, then we already know his voice. I don't need a fleece to know what his will is for my life. I don't need a fleece to know that I need to speak to this person or not speak to this person. I don't need a fleece for that if I am in intimate relationship with my father, with Jesus. However, again, fleeces aren't sin. And sometimes, kind of seems almost here, like this fleece was directed by God. Sometimes he does give us, he, he really wants us to know that it is him that's speaking. And so he will give us a fleece type experience. And that's what he does with his servant here. The spirit prompts this prayer of this woman who's going to, he's going to ask for water, will give him water, but also water his camels, which by the way, would not be an easy task. It's like 10 camels and it would take some time to fill up those camels. And so God, the spirit directs. But also, I love this part. The Spirit gives us eyes to see. That last verse I read, verse 21, the man, the servant, gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Imagine like the creepy feeling that Rebecca may have had at this moment. 
Like she's getting all of these, these buckets of water for the camels. And this guy is like gazing at her. Maybe he had a lazy eye. I don't know, right? Oh my gosh, right? But have you experienced that? I mean, that's how the spirit, no, not the creepy part. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was, yeah, yeah. No, not that creepy part. No, that, that guy is looking at me. That is creepy. No, have you experienced that as a servant? Like, like you, like all of a sudden, you just like see something in someone. That's not a physical thing. It's, it's not what's going on outside. It's not a body language thing. It's like there's a spiritual sense about the individual. Some of us are very in touch with that. I think some of us have that you know, gift of discernment of spirits or whatever it may be, right? Where we just can see those things all the time. But not all of us are that way. But I think all of us can have that experience. Are we looking? Are we listening? What is the spirit saying? If God, if you feel like your attention is brought to someone, is that maybe like, I don't know, the Spirit's saying, go talk to that person. I don't know if you guys know Mike Mercer, right? Uh, great guy in our church. Love him. He's written a book, actually several books. I don't know. He's, he's amazing. He's a good guy. Uh, anyway, but I love to listen. His book has a bunch of testimonies about this. He's just a man who lives by the Spirit. And I love how he, he describes exactly this. Like, he's just kind of driving along, and all of a sudden, the Lord draws of his attention to an individual. And he's like... Oh, I see that individual. What am I going to do with that? Like, and then he begins to pray, God, what do you want me to do? And then he does whatever he hears. Like he'll, he'll pull the car over and go over and say, hey, I've got 10 bucks or whatever, if it's a homeless person or, or he'll you know, go over and hey, can I pray for you? I just, whatever. He just has this ability to sense the spirit in the moment because he sees. May we have that as well. May we seek that. May we be open to that. May we listen to the Holy Spirit because he does move in that way. All right. I got to like fly now. We're already so late. Woo. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, communion today. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on grace. It must, must have been grace's fault, right? <laughs> Too much good music. No, it was great, actually. Anyway, it's my fault all the way. Uh, all right, so <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to move on to the next character. We got two more characters. Holy cow. Okay, we can do it. All right, it's going to be all right. Uh, we're going to jump down some verses. So Genesis 24, verses 52 and to 58. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the woman remain with us while at least for at least 10 days after that she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. Hmm. Rebekah is shocked by this whole situation. Imagine for a moment, here's a, a young woman who's just living her life expecting that her whole life 
life is going to be spent like in the same kind of general geographical area, right? That, that she's going to someday find some guy that she knows is maybe a family, you know, an extended family member somewhere, and they're going to get married and they're going to have kids and she'll just, her whole existence, her whole life is going to be here. And then all of a sudden, she finds out that some guy, some distant relative from some faraway land is not only seeking her, but has been praying for her and has sent his best servant to find her in order to come back and wed his son. Like whatever she, wherever she was in that moment, she had to have thought, wait a second, this is kind of crazy. Like my life just went from just kind of normal thing to all of a sudden, what? Me? You're searching for me? Really? And imagine the whole story that the servant tells. Yeah, yeah, no, I prayed about it, and I said, hey, this woman does this and this, and, and then you did it. Like, I mean, you were right there. It just happened. It's obviously you. And she couldn't deny it. What an amazing reality to know that the master desires me. But yet there's a hesitation in her, I think. Because, I mean, she doesn't even know this guy. Like, he's just a stranger who just showed up. He's got these camels, and he's gazing at her creepily at the water well, right? I mean, like, why would I want to go with this guy? And then not to mention, I mean, yeah, this Isaac guy sounds kind of cool, but I, I, can I see him? Like, you know, maybe you got a picture of him, right? Like, you know, maybe a Facebook page or something I can look at. I mean, imagine, this is like, the, this, is, this is a blind date that you, I mean, the first blind date maybe, right? Exactly, right here. So, so there's a hesitation there, but after hearing the testimony, seeing the gifts, there's something inside her that just says, yeah, I want that. It's a risk. But whatever reason, that message, that testimony, this man, Isaac, I, I just think it's real. Let's do it. And she says, I will go. Obviously, the bride, this Rebecca, is a representation of, first of all, the lost. People who don't know Jesus. Do you remember when you didn't know Jesus? Do you remember the first time you heard about the amazing grace of Jesus? The amazing grace of God, that, that this God of the universe who created all of this, that he was pursuing you. What an amazing and awesome and powerful truth that you are not just nobody, that you are somebody because the creator of the universe knows your name. He knows where you live and he sent servants to come and find you, tell you about him so that you could come and spend eternity with him. What a great news. The lost to hear this message now, indeed, we even see is her brothers, right? At first, they're, they're, there's a rejection there of this message. No, this, this is, no, I, I don't trust this stranger. I don't trust what's going on. This doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't add up. You're giving up too much. It's too great a risk. Certainly some lost will respond that way to the message. But then some who again, by God's sovereign timing, are ready. I think Rebecca was looking for a change. I think Rebecca was like, my life is supposed to be something more than this. 
I think she had this internal desire for adventure that God had placed there for this very moment so that she would go. And it's the same for every lost person who says yes to Jesus. It's not a stretch for them to say yes to Jesus because internally they've been desiring something different for some time. Their life has been falling apart. It's not been what they thought it should be. There's things that are missing. They wish there was more. They're like, come on, there's got to be more to this life than just like working and then dying. Oh, yeah, I pay taxes too. Right? I mean, there's got to be more. And when the lost say yes, this is the great thing about this story is it doesn't end with the I do. Anybody watch Hallmark Channel? <laughs> Christmas time, I'm usually forced to, but it's okay. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the annoyingly repetitive love, romantic love story of Hallmark, always like the end of the movie is the wedding, right? It's the end. Oh, praise the Lord. With Jesus, the I do is not the end. Her yes is not the end of the story because it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning, stepping into this kingdom, stepping into this relationship with the father, with the son who loves us so deeply, and we get so much more than we could ever thought we would get. Our life becomes something so much more important, so much more beautiful, not because everybody knows me, but because everybody knows Jesus. He does something that no one else can do, that nothing else can do. Such a beautiful thing when, when Rebecca gets to Isaac and she gets off the camel and she's like, who's this guy? He's the servant. He's the one. He's the promised child. Do you remember that moment when you saw Jesus? And bow our knee before him. And we hide our face because we know that he's so much more. And we just enjoy the scripture being read <laughs> by Rich Brown. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> all right. Get it together, Vandermark. Let's go. Uh, all right. No, we got it. We got to land the plan. Finally, it's the son in Genesis 24, 62 to 67. Read this quickly and we got to stop. But now Isaac had returned to Bear Lahoi Roy, Lahai Roy, and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. He's meditating, he's praying, he's spending time with God. And he lift up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebecca, Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. <laughs> I love how Isaac listens to the story of the servant. Like, <laughs> the evangelist's job's not done. Like the, the evangelist goes and, and receives and, and shares the story that testifies to Jesus. And then they say yes, and he brings them in to the kingdom of Je with Jesus. And when he gets there, Jesus 
listens to the story of the evangelist. Reminds me of Jesus literally on earth when his disciples came back after being sent out and they were all excited and they began to share the stories. Even the demons, they bow down to us and they flee. It's like crazy. And he's like loving it, right? And I think Isaac's the same. He's loving hearing the story of how God has worked and the spirit has moved to bring Rebecca to him. But then after the story is, is completed, he turns his attention to Rebecca. And notice he doesn't ask her any questions. <laughs> There's no interview. So uh, tell me, uh, <clears throat> who's your father? Um, and uh, where you come from again? I, I know he said that, but is, is that, I just want to check, make sure the story's still lined up here, right? You know, I mean, uh, you know, there's no, there's no like, you know, so do you like the Seahawks or not? I mean, is that going to be an issue? Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, there's none of that, right? It's just like he receives her. And that's how Jesus receives us. There's no interview. There's no like, you got to pass the test. Praise the Lord that we do not have a fickle God, a fickle Savior who desire, demands that we be perfect before we get wed or even perfect after we are wed. He just accepts us just as we are accepts us into his family. And the amazing thing is, is all the things that we get in that family. We became joint, become joint heirs of Jesus, Romans 8 tells us. We get all of the wealth. We get all of the intimacy. And we get all of the legacy, the glory with Jesus for all eternity. All right, worship team, come forward. Um, I'm sorry, folks, we've, we've gone long. Um, and we've got some communion to do, and, but we'll get through it. Amen? Can you stick it out with me? All right. And I, I need a rag. Um, as we move to communion, uh, just it's so fitting again for this story. I want to ask, um, I want to ask you this morning, Would you say yes again? If you've already said yes in the past, would you say yes again this morning? As you come forward and, and Bob and I are, uh, are going to have the elements and we'll just ask you to come forward, come on the outside aisles, return to your seats inside aisle. Uh, as you come, uh, would you say, uh, I, I don't know, what, I know for sure what Bob said. I usually say receive the blood and bo body and blood of Christ when you come and, and receive when I'm standing here, but I don't know if Bob says that or not, but but would you just respond at least to me and to Bob with yes? Yes. And if you have never said yes to Jesus, then this morning is your time. The fact that you're here in this church, hearing this message, don't like, to, oh, it's just, you know, whatever. No, it's just, no, 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 no. Understand, we have a God who is sovereign and has, he has orchestrated all of the steps of all of us in this room. And the fact that you are here hearing this message about a Jesus who has pursued you, who knows your name, knows where you live, and knows that you are here today and you've heard this message, then if you have not said yes to Jesus, today's your day. And so when you come forward to receive communion, because this is something we do for those who are in the body of Christ. So when you come forward to receive communion, 
you say yes as well. Loud and proud and praise Jesus. Amen. Let me pray and then we'll ask you to come forward while they play a few notes behind me and, uh, and then we'll uh, close our service with a song. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing goodness and that you are pursuing us. Thank you that you know us by name. And Lord, spur, stir in our hearts a yes again today. And for those who may have never done it before, stir that yes for the first time today. And unite our hearts as we come to receive the body and the blood of Christ. Body that was broken for us to, to pay for our sin and blood that was poured out for us to cleanse us of our sin. Lord, we love you. And we cannot believe what you've given us. So we praise you and we worship you. Unite us, not only with each other, unite us with you. In Jesus' name, amen. John 15, 9 and following. And the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. God is good. If you would like prayer this morning, please come forward. If you said yes to Jesus for the first time, please come forward. Let us know. Let us celebrate with you. You have a great day, church. Thanks for being here.